Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and this is part two of my conversation with author and CEO of Messenger International, Addison Bevere. First of all, if you haven't listened to part one of my conversation with Addison, how to know if he's the one, go ahead and give it a listen after this episode. Basically, Addison and I had such a long conversation and it was so encouraging that instead of cutting it or taking things out that I didn't want to, I just split it into two different shows. This half of the conversation, we talk all about the current climate of the Western church. We are currently in the middle of a mass exodus in the Western church. Not to mention, it seems like every day a new Christian leader is falling or being exposed from Liberty College president Jerry Falwell Jr. to Pastor John Gray's recent public apology for an inappropriate relationship to countless white evangelical churches not understanding or supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, which is completely baffling to me. And if you want to know what I really think about that, listen to episode number 98, Why Black Lives Matter to Jesus. All this to be said, we are in a unique cultural moment, and to be frank, there are times I'm embarrassed to be associated with Christianity and Christian culture. Well, this is exactly what Addison and I talk about in this episode, and it's also a large part of what his book, Saints, Becoming More Than Christians, is about. You can get that at addisonbevere.com. Now, if you're ready for a pretty wild ride and a fun conversation with Addison Bevere, then let's get to it. Something that I just loved just reading about your book, and I mean, like I told you, I went deep on your Instagram, is your book, Saints. You know, you talk about we're in this moment in America and Western evangelical church where 
we're in the, the middle of like what you called like a mass exodus and the mm-hmm. back door of the church is so wide open. And to be frank, there's moments, Addison, where I think, well, rightfully so, because sure. there's so much dysfunction. There's, you know, we have pastors falling left and right into sexual temptation and lack of integrity. And um, I've even felt in the past few months with everything going on, with the Black Lives Matters movement, there's been moments where I've been like, you know, what? I feel embarrassed to be a Christian right now. I mm-hmm. am embarrassed that the people that I'm having to convince that there is still a problem with racism in America are Christians. Like, why is why are we having this conversation? Why are we talking? Why are we why am I debating with another cr- Christian whether or not justice is connected to the heart of God? And because the kingdom is built on justice and righteousness. I mean, that's all over scripture. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I I just, I had a conversation with a friend recently and, you know, this person loves Jesus. This person loves Jesus. And I know this person does. And this person is also in a racial reconciliation class at their church and was very proud of that fact and sharing that with me. And then in the next breath said, the Black Lives Matter movement is intolerable. And I just felt like I is I, I, I don't even understand how in one breath you can say I love Jesus and the next breath you say that like justice doesn't matter to God. And so I wonder, like, so I know I just threw a lot at you. I'm a major <laughs> external processor. But no, no, it's great. We, we're having this moment where I'm like, well, yeah. Like the church is ineffective right now. And yeah. like it, the picture that I feel like I have is that we have this house of cards and it it's being blown down and hopefully rebuilt. But I think a lot of people are leaving and going into that deconstruction phase. And then it's like, they're not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's happening. Are, I have, like, I have friends that are in that, that process or have gone through that process. And a lot of them have not returned. Yeah. Uh, man, I mean, you just, Kat, you just asked so many loaded questions. All right. So I'm <laughs> going to try to systematically go through all of your questions yes. and answer them. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start with the idea of, of a saint, because mm. I think that'll help us understand what we should do in this cultural moment. So when you look at, when you look at scripture, um, the word Christians used only three times, three times, that's it. Twice in Acts, once in first Peter, the word saint is used over 60 times just in the new Testament describe the people of God. Now what nasty religious elitism has done is it's taken this term, which was actually a part of what it is to be in the family of God. And it's reserved it. It's put it on a shelf and it said, Hey, only people who do X, Y, and Z get to be saints. But if you think about how the word is used in the new Testament, think about Paul's letters to the saints in Rome to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints of Philippi. He is calling his entire audience, he is calling them saints. And what he is saying, Kat, this is the big idea. He's saying, you who practice and participate in the mystery of God's kingdom, you are saints. You who not just see this world as it is, but have captured a glimpse of what it could be, as it would be, as it should be, you are saints. When we look at Hebrews 11, we see a, a list of men and women who are described as people the world was not worthy of. That's what it says in verse 34. Why was the world not worthy of them? Because they were disruptive. They had a vision of something other. They had a vision of a heavenly city. And I'm not just talking about 
heaven, the platonic notion of disembodied spirits in the clouds. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's kingdom invading earth. And if you look at Jesus's life, he talked about a subject, a particular matter more than anything else, and that's the kingdom of God. And saints are people of the kingdom. And if you look deeply at scripture, I mean, and it's all throughout scripture, you find that this identifier of saint is supposed to energize our lives here and now. So it's the saints who dive into the messiness of life. It's the saints who are in tune with with the struggles of the mundane. Saints aren't people who remove themselves from the struggles of our world. Saints are people who plunge into the messiness of this world. Saints are stay-at-home parents. Saints are CEOs, they're entrepreneurs, they're podcasters, they're pastors. Like we are all called to be saints. And as I mentioned earlier, what it really is, is it's a family, um, a, a family name. It's a family identifier. And I heard this recently and I love it. We're talking about civil rights. Like what we really need is awareness of ci- we need civic rights. We're talking about civil righteousness. Like that's what we need to have an awareness of, but because we don't understand righteousness, which really has undertones of relationship and family, we don't understand what it is to build for righteousness. Mm -hmm. So when you look at God's design for righteousness and you see the promise he made through Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, that he would bless all the families of the world through his family. This is, this is a promise that every single nation, every tribe, every tongue has a seat at the table. And so when we as brothers and sisters, when we recognize that there is someone who needs to have a seat at the table, who doesn't have a seat at the table, that's a problem because we're a family and a family isn't whole. A family isn't completely represented until every mm-hmm. single person is at that table. Yeah. And so in, res- in response to what's happening in our world with the Black Lives Matters movement, the, what I would say to that is, look, the truth is the church has abdicated and we a lot of spaces to secular ideologies. And what happens then is evil ideologies emerge in these spaces. And then we as a church, we stand on the side and we criticize those evil ideologies. There is some dark stuff behind Black, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matters, the movement itself. Now, absolutely 100%, I believe Black Lives Matters, but there's some dark stuff associated, associated with that, the group behind it. But that doesn't mean that we stand on the side and criticize the movement. I look at it, I'm like, man, it's sad. It's sad to me that we as a church, we didn't own that first. It's sad to me that we're playing catch up in in so many senses. And instead of getting in and getting our hands dirty and asking, what do we need to learn? What do we need to do? We're standing on the side and we're criticizing what BLM is doing and what BLM is all about and how they're doing it. So, so Yeah, I know that's that's, so good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good picture. And I think of, oh my gosh, I'm gonna butcher which president said this, but it's at the beginning of one of Brene Brown's books. But just the idea of like, don't criticize if you're not willing to like get in the ring and like be bloody and fight. And it's like, if you're on the sidelines, I don't want to hear your criticism. And I think something that has felt so sad to me is. I feel like I've had so many conversations where it's like we're getting caught up in semantics. And I mean, I, I just, I'm like worse. It's like, it honestly, Addison, it reminds me of being a Bible college. I remember being in Bible school. I was a Bible major in the South, which was like, I got a lot of like condescending pats on the head. Cause it was like, Oh, you're a girl. You can't, 
you can't study the Bible. <laughs> you just go cook in the kitchen. Oh, it's cute that you're here. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I was a new Christian and I didn't know any of the rules. So I was like front and center asking all the questions and pissing off all the boys. But I remember being in class and I am you know, trying to grapple with the sovereignty of God and the problem of evil in our world. And the boys in class are arguing over which version of the Bible is best. And I felt like, I remember I turned around and I was like, if y'all are future pastors, I'm scared because I just felt like you're missing the mark here. Like while y'all are going to be arguing about which version of the Bible that you want to use. And and I do have an opinion on that, by the way. Yeah. And it's, it's a conversation worth having, but but it's not the conversation. conversation. Exactly. And I feel like if we're, we're sitting there, we're like a house is on fire and we're sitting here wondering like, well, um, but which, which version of the Bible or like what language do you want to use or not? I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to run over to that house because the house is on fire and we need to like be a part of, of the solution and not just like the semantics around it. And so I think that's something that I have felt frustrated by personally. And then what I would love to hear from, from you is when I see Christian culture in America today, from a zoomed out perspective, what I see is the Pharisees. Yes. And, and and obviously this is like a broad brushstroke there. I love the church I go to. I think there are church communities doing incredible jobs. I mean, for real, for real, there are. Um, But I, for me, I'm like, you know, Jesus was a Palestinian Jewish man in the first century. He was a religious minority and he hung out with people that would never feel safe stepping inside the temple. He um, dignified women and prostitutes and tax collectors, basically the most ostracized people in society. Yet it seems like church in America has become this like weird popularity contest and mega church culture. And I'm like, when did we get it wrong? When did we move from being connected to the heart of Jesus to being this like, we have to post everything on Instagram, every church service so we stay relevant? This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, it can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean zero dollars, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash trwdatingtips. 
Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. Jesus did what he did because of people. Like it's always been about people. The covenant was about people. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to understand our religious duty Mm -hmm. through any lens other than how does this impact the people in my world, we start to go awry. And what has happened is we've made what it is to be a Christian incredibly individualistic. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, and this is one of the reasons why, for me personally, it's not that Christian is necessarily a bad identifier, but I I personally don't use it anymore. It has so much cultural baggage. Um, People are saying more and more, like, we're in a post-Christian world, and essentially they're saying, hey, we tried that whole Christianity thing, it didn't work, so we're moving on to secularism, we're moving on to DIY spirituality, moving on to something else. But if you look at the heart of Jesus, like, let's just take a look at Matthew 6, for instance, when we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, is it my Father who is in heaven? No, it's our Father Mm -hmm. who is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. They had a profound awareness that this gospel, this kingdom life only works the way it's designed to work when we see ourselves within the context of community. And what has happened, and people love doing this, what has happened, people have reduced the gospel to a transactional idea. Okay. Like that's why there's there's a major emphasis on like substitutionary atonement and what that means and what it doesn't mean and stuff like that. But the reality is when we view the gospel as the greatest expression of relationship and the cross is the greatest expression of relationship, then conversations start to shift because we realize that what sin is, in its truest sense, it's not missing an arbitrary mark. It's a violation of relationship. And that's why Jesus came. He came to restore relationships. First and foremost, our relationship with God. Second, our relationship with ourselves. And third, our relationship with others. Like that's, that's where the kingdom advances, is at the intersection of relationship. This isn't about privatized religion. This is about something so much bigger than whether we have to experience condemnation or whether we go to heaven one day when we die. There is a real gospel message. There is a real kingdom that we as the saints are a part of building. And that's where we find lives of purpose and meaning. And so this is this is why I think this is why I think we have so much confusion around what it means to grow in Christ. I think you'll find two extremes in the church, in the body of Christ. I think you find one extreme where we take the starting line of what it means to follow Jesus and we move it as far up as we possibly can. Like this is the progressive movement. These are the the movements that are that we would call more liberal. And it's basically just like, hey, we just want to get you in the doors. And it doesn't matter what you do. It really doesn't matter what you believe. Um, you belong. And we want you here. And and there really isn't a call to growth. There isn't a call to transformation. There isn't a trajectory 
that they want to bring those people on. It's just basically like, hey, we want to get you in and we want to make you feel comfortable. So essentially what that group has done is they've made the starting line the finishing line. The starting line is getting people saved and the finish line is getting people saved. And that's it. So they've made salvation and conversion synonymous. Then you have this other group, and I'm not going to name any names, that are on the other side of the spectrum where it's like no one's good enough to be in their club. Like no one, anyone who walks in the door, you're going to feel condemned. And we would call it legalistic. We would call it um, holiness oriented, although that's a terrible use of the term holiness. Holiness actually means beauty and otherness and perfection. And and it's one of the most brilliant concepts in scripture. But they, they have essentially moved the starting line and the finishing line way to the other side of the spectrum. And when I look at Jesus, you know what Jesus did? And both of these groups do this because they don't like the tension. They like the starting line and the finishing line in the same place because life gets messy when you navigate the tension. So we do whatever we can to eradicate the tension. But what did Jesus do? Jesus moved the starting line further up than anyone else, anyone had ever done. And he made people so uncomfortable because, as you mentioned earlier, he was reaching out to everyone. He was talking to the prostitutes. He was talking to the tax collectors. He was reaching out to the people who were on the margins. And and that was radical. That was so radical. We sanitize the Gospels now, but that was incredibly radical what he was doing in the first century. Mm -hmm. So he moved the starting line up farther than anyone, but he also moved the finish line farther back than anyone thought possible. And this is how, and this is what he did. He said, listen, this is, you belong. You are a part of my family. I'm going to journey with you. And this is what discipleship is. It's journeying from what it is right here, first receiving that that implanted word, which has the power to save your soul, journeying into the fullness of what that means for your life, not settling for second rate, not settling for a cheap picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because Jesus, it's for freedom that he has set us free. So he doesn't get us saved from sin so we can wallow in sin for the rest of our lives. And what Jesus says, he's like, look, I've got a vision of you that's so much more than you, quote unquote, not sinning. I have a vision of you that's flourishing in every single relationship, in every single context. And the journey of sanctification, this journey of discipleship, you're in, but I'm bringing you on this journey into a picture, into a vision that's so far away, it's going to challenge you and give meaning and purpose to your life for the rest of your life. And it's in that tension, it's in that journey that we flourish in relationships, that we realize what it is to be followers of Jesus, that we realize what it is to be people of purpose in our world. And I think in the church, generally speaking, which we do this, the enemy of our soul, he's brilliant. He always introduces lies and pairs to polarize the church. He always does that. He never just introduces one lie. He always introduces two. And then we fight over which lie is better. And what, and what, <laughs> what, what Jesus is saying, he's like, look, hey, come in. Like I am reaching out to everyone and I am going to journey with patience. What's the first attribute of love in first Corinthians 13? It's patient. Love is patient. I write a whole chapter on that. Like what is love working itself out in patience practically look like when you're navigating someone's brokenness, when you're navigating your own brokenness, what does that look like? Like seriously, like what practically speaking, what does that look like? And so what he does through patience is he brings us to this place because faith is his love language. Faith is how he reveals how much he loves for us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. He's like, look, you don't see this about yourself, but I see it in you. 
and I'm going to work with you patiently mm-hmm. until you can see it. Do you know how powerful relationships are when we treat each other like that? Oh my goodness. People can yeah. do anything. They can go anywhere. And that's, that's the heart of God is that beautiful tension where I love you. I accept you. I want to bring you in right where you are, but I am going to patiently and diligently move you into a vision, into a complete freedom of sin. Because it says in every single one of the gospels at the beginning of the gospels that Jesus came to save us from our sins. That is miss, keep us from missing the trend and scope of life, which is God. So it's intimacy that he has saved us for. So he's not going to leave us in a place where our intimacy is hindered. So he's going to grow us in intimacy, yeah. intimacy and grow us in love. So mm-hmm. it was a long answer. That's so. That's such a good answer. And I think one of the pieces I kind of picked out from what you said is the love of Jesus or the love of God manifesting in our lives, or I'll just make it personal, like manifesting in my life is I think the real beauty is feeling so safe and seen with God. And I've just kind of felt this in the last year or two of feeling like I've been coming home in myself, in my body, in my heart, in my relationship with God in a way that I haven't before. And I've wondered, like, is this what it means to like get to know God? As I know God more, I come to know this self of me, of Kat, that God has always designed me to be as he's kind of like picking off the debris or the wounds or healing the past trauma is like, Oh wow, like part of like being with Jesus is this like, like catapult of growth. And in that growth and discovering and the patience is me finding out who I always was, who I always have been. (laughs) Can I read something to you real quickly? Because it's right, right along with what you're saying. So in Colossians 3, 9 through 10, Paul writes, put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And I'm actually going to quote what I wrote in Saints. But I wrote, I think of the old self as pseudo-individuality. It may look like individuality, but it's just a shadow of the unique brilliance God intends for each of us. And saying, so Christ, we don't lose our individuality. We find it reborn and infused with God's DNA. If we are to become saints, we must let go of the old self. There is no middle ground. And then I go into how sloppy grace essentially refuses to acknowledge our new creation reality in Christ. It refuses to acknowledge the potential and the beauty that Christ has spoken over us. And that's and that's what it is. I think so many people have this fear, like they're going to lose who they are in this journey of becoming. But the reality is all those layers that masquerade as individuality, they start to get peeled off. And then we discover who God created us to be. And that is so beautiful and that's so glorious. And it's only realized, it's only discovered in that pursuit of who he is. I'm definitely going to need you to send me that quote so we can put that in the show notes. But man, you've really done your homework. (laughs) You are (laughs) very smart. I'm just like, I didn't know I was about to get into a sermon here on this call, but this is just... I'm passionate. Yes. Listen, our world needs, our world needs new language. Come like, on. I, and this is, I'm not making something up. I'm not trying to make yeah. a square peg fit in a round hole. Like this, the church identified as saints when they were turning the world upside mm-hmm. down, when they were reconciling groups of people that quote unquote, didn't belong together, didn't get along, when they were reaching out to the marginalized, when they were literally, literally turning the world upside down. Like that's not literally figuratively, that's how they're described. Yeah. They were called saints. Yeah. They were known as saints. When when Christianity, when it became privatized 
and institutionalized, that's when it started shifting and turning to quote unquote Christians. Mm. And I'm like, listen, it's time for us to recapture the wonder and the mystery of what it is to be the people of God. We've played it safe. We've played it small. We have a small view of God. And like A.W. Tozer says, Mm. he says, a small view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils in our world. And we have a lot of lesser evils that we're navigating right now because we have not woken up to the glory and the majesty of God's purpose and His plans to reclaim every inch of this world. It says the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters covers the sea, like Isaiah eleven nine. That's where we're going. That's the promise. And if we're going to be people who practice and participate in the mystery of the final day, we have got to start being energized by that vision so we can see what that requires of us today in our everyday ordinary lives. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. Well, I have one, one, just one final little question for you. Actually, I have two. Um, One, so, you know, I just your vision of this, like your battle cry. And it's funny because I think I can't remember now if we were recording or not. I think this was pre-recording, but you mentioned like you didn't want to be in the public eye, you know, like you, you grew up with parents that, you know, very front and center in Christian culture, and that's not necessarily what you wanted. And then your dad made you speak and he recorded it and sent it out, which I think is so, (laughs) it's like such a dad move, Um, but also (laughs) just shows how much he believes in you. And as I am hearing your words, I'm like, yeah, he's a prophet and a preacher and he doesn't even know it. Like, come on, like what you're saying, like these words, I'm so grateful that you have stepped out and that I get the gift of talking with you and I get the gift of reading your book and hearing these words because to be frank, I have felt super discouraged in this season. Um, not, not just, just these last few months of pandemic and BLM, but over the last decade, almost, oh gosh, I think I counted 
this a couple months ago, close to 50 or 60 of my friends have walked away from the faith completely. And there's been moments where I've been like, why do I still believe this? Like, do I literally believe that? Like there was a virgin who had a baby. Like, is that real? Like, did Jesus really raise from the dead? And then, and then I have these like existential moments of dang, like, I feel like I read the Bible and I feel so connected to Jesus. And then I meet other Christians and I'm like, oh, screw this. This is just what happened. And so I feel really encouraged hearing your message and your words because you're right. Like it is not a like it's it's we've made Christianity into this thing that was like never the heart of God. And it is possible to get back there. Absolutely. We can get back to the heart of God. Um, and I think it's just what you're saying is remembering like what is the gospel all about? What is the life life with Jesus all about? Is it about this like stamp of Christian approval or is it about you know, instead of what you're saying, the gospel is not transactional, it's relational yes. and to get back to that heart of relationship. So, oh, wait, I think I didn't ask you my no. question. So my question. <laughs> hey, I was enjoying what you were saying. After my TED right there. Um, sorry, I just, I also, side note, I, I'm a photographer and I've been shooting outside in like the 100 degree weather all day. So I might be a little punchy. Um but you said that you don't necessarily associate with the term Christian anymore. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like, what if, you know, you're at the airport and someone comes up to you, you have no idea where that spiritually. And they're like, oh, so are you a Christian? Are you going to say, like, I'm a saint? Like, what do you say to that? What's your response? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a yeah, that's that's a good question. So what I've said for years, is I say I'm a follower of Christ. Um, I don't like all the mm-hmm. cultural baggage that comes with um with the idea of what a Christian is. So I've been in that situation. I've Mm -hmm. had people ask me in airports. I had a a manager of a restaurant ask me, I was in Nashville doing some stuff for the book. And he asked me, he said, he said, because I told him about it and stuff. And he's like, man, I haven't been to church in two decades. He's like, I don't believe in God. I'm agnostic, you know, that, that all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, yeah. So we talked for a bit and then he opened up and he said to me, he said this, he said, but after I've had a few beers and I've smoked a few joints, I start to think about God. And I just, I just, I just, mm, I know I just looked at him. I said, man, that's because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that eternity was written on your heart. It's like, there are things that you cannot deny. You have chased life at the altars of sex, stuff, and status, and you have found yourself lacking. And I just went off on him, right? Like just started sharing all this stuff. And he just leans over and he goes, do you see my arms? Like, do you see the goosebumps on my arms? What is happening to me? And I just said, God is after mm-hmm. you. Like, this is not about religion. This is about relationship. And he wants you to discover who he is. And in that, dis- in that journey of discovering who he is, you will discover who you are. And I gave him a copy of the book, Saints. And he's like, as soon as I get off my shift, I'm reading this. And when I left the restaurant, he was sitting down in the front of the restaurant reading the book. Someone who just said that he was agnostic, really didn't want anything to do with God. So for me, like we have to be willing to use new language. We can't just use the old Christianese. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do say like, hey, we're saints. And actually, this is an interesting fact. The word saint in the individual sense really shouldn't be used. If you look at how it's used in scripture, it's always used in the plural sense. Why? Because we together, collectively, we are saints. So even the term saints requires us to realize this isn't just about me. It's about we. And I think that's the big shift that we have got to make. When you look at the Pharisees, you you alluded to the Pharisees earlier, they had their elite club, their religious club. 
And their their goal essentially to be like, hey, we need to point out how people have messed up. And so that way we can get them on the straight and narrow. And then maybe one day they can become a part of our club. Like it wasn't about inclusion. It wasn't about reaching out. It wasn't about making disciples. And Jesus comes onto the scene. He's actually like, hey, this is the message. Go, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. What's radical? So check this out. What's radical, Kat? And you know this, you, you study the scriptures. He sent the 70 out before they had seen the complete expression of his mission on earth. He sent them out to preach the good news of the kingdom. I mean, just think about that. Like they were still neophytes. They were still <laughs> learning. And he's like, yeah, go out and declare. Go out and declare the goodness of the kingdom, good news of the kingdom. Go out and declare it. Like we have just, we have made a mess of this. And here's the encouraging thing. The church has always been broken since day one. Go back and read the letters. The church has been broken. And so God can move through a broken church. He always has, and he always will. God will move through broken churches, but we're really going to become effective when we realize what Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12 is true, that the responsibility of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, meaning the ministry, quote unquote, ministry is not the people who are paid by the church or paid by, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. Christian organizations. The ministry is each and every single person who is a follower of Jesus. Everywhere they go, they're essentially reclaiming that ground as sacred. Everywhere they go. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. He's saying, hey, you are God's temple. God's spirit lives in you. What he's saying, everywhere you go, you become, you create a microcosm where heaven meets earth. That was the idea of the temple. It was where heaven meets earth. You, everywhere you go, wherever you live, Wherever you work, whatever you do, as long as it is God honoring, you are essentially creating that space where heaven is meeting earth. You are making thin spaces. And we have got to recapture that vision as the saints, as the people of God. I'm just not going to respond to that because that's all that needs to be said. (laughs) That's mic drop right there. Mic drop. Um, Well, Addison, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your time and your wisdom. I feel like this, like this is your battle cry. And this, I mean, I'm, I'm with, I'm, I'm just with you and I hear you. And, um, it just gets me excited because it, it, for me, just talking to you, it's just, it's like restoring hope. And I know like one of the things you, you said in regards to your book is like kind of getting back to that place of like wonder. Um, and you're right. Like the church has always been freaking messy and we're still messy. And so I'm, I'm just grateful for your battle cry and how can every single person listening to this, get their hands on your book and follow along with what you're doing and all the things. Yeah. Um, Kat, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a ton of fun, but, uh, Amazon is probably the best, best place to get it. Easiest way to get it. If you prefer to support a local bookstore, um, it should be available wherever books are sold. And then um, as far as following along, pretty much Instagram is the only social media that I do. So <laughs> that's it. And I just I just started doing that. But I have felt a conviction recently, Kat, like I need to do more as far as this battle cry. I've had multiple people reach out to me and say, hey, you need to get more active with this. And so I, w- I will be doing things in the near future because this is bigger than me. This is not just about yeah. me. I believe that this is a call that God is making to the collective body. And I'm excited because before revival, there's always a reformation. There's a change in how we see God. There's a change in how we see ourselves. And I think everything that is happening in our world is catalytic for the revival to come. 
Yeah. And and I think even the old mechanism of church was too small for the revival that's coming. And so the church, the mechanism of church is getting expanded and getting enlarged in this season of COVID to sustain the move of God and the influx of people are going to be a part of that move in the years to come. Mm, that's so good. That reminds me of my pastor uses this term, the crystallization of discontent. And before before any big transformation and the church I go to here in the city, Church of the Cities, we're like all about revival. And we have our prayer room five days a week, like praying revival down in this city. And he says, but before that, you have to have this moment, like the crystallization of discontent, like no longer can we move forward like this. Like something has to change. We have to get back to the heart of God. And, you know, you can have those crystallization moments when it's like, okay, it's, you know, we've been in quarantine and my pants don't fit anymore. Once the, once the button doesn't button, like that is my moment of crystallization of discontent. Like no longer am I going to be at ends. Um, but I feel like you are in the moment of you are, you're passing your moment of crystallization of discontent. And it is like, the season is now for your, for your voice to be heard and for revival to be had. So I'm just believing that God is going to use your words in ways that you could never imagine. And, um, yeah, I'm excited. And if there's any way that I can support you, you better let me know. Cause I just love what you're up to. Thanks, Scott. It means a ton. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.